This is uh, the final lesson, lesson number five on how to study the Bible. And uh, I call this the nitty gritty. Everything we've studied so far builds up to this because now we actually learn how to bog down and study the Bible. And again, I'll say to you that it's not enough just to read your Bible. Thank God for reading your Bible. But if that's all you do, uh, you're only barely getting some things. That's, read, reading the Bible is just kind of like just getting your liquids. But to study your Bible is like sitting down and eating meat and potatoes and carrots, maybe a little bit of dessert. It gives you the calories, the fats, the carbohydrates that you need. You need to read the Bible, but more than anything, you need to study the Bible. And consequently, if you study the Bible, you are technically reading the Bible. So what we need to make sure we do, and it's going to be very difficult for some of us because we, we're not disciplined enough yet to make time for God's word, you're going to have to learn to make time and carve time out of your daily schedule to study the Bible. If you study world history, or excuse me, U.S. history, even European history, and I, I like to read history books, uh, that's one of my favorite type of novel or books to read, I do a lot of reading in private, I, I, I'm always tickled to see all the names people came up with for their kids. And when any time I read a name, especially from 17th and 18th century America, that I don't recognize, I say, that's probably a Bible name. And I'll go look it up, always a Bible name. And do you know why they named their kids all these odd Bible names? Because they read their Bible and they were familiar with these Bible names. The ones that if we quoted right now, you'd say, that's in the Bible? Well, back then, that's all they read was the Bible. But as society has progressed, we've gotten busier and busier and busier. And for all the technology and all the stuff that's supposed to help us, it doesn't help us know God. It helps us not know God. It keeps us busier than to have him in our life. And it actually is slowly luring us away from God. And that's the way the Antichrist wants it. So what you and I are going to have to do is really make a concerted effort to make time for God in our life. And if we don't, we won't have him much in our life. So all this we're teaching is so that you will make time for God to study his Bible and your life will only benefit from studying the Bible. Very, very humble, soft, weak, amen. All right, let's look at our curriculum. First and foremost, our primary motive for studying the Bible must be to know God. A lot of folks will study the Bible to argue, a lot of folks will study the Bible to debate. A lot of the folks will study the Bible to seem uh, smart and knowledgeable and maybe even pharisaical, but that's, those aren't good motives. If you'll study the Bible to know God, you'll always have the word in season to argue if you need to or to debate. Or as Jesus said, take no thought what you shall say in that moment, for I'll open your mouth and I'll fill it. He'll fill it because you've been filling your heart with the word of God yourself. Our primary reason for studying the Bible is to know God, no other reason. And I've been guilty of studying it to debate people on different doctrines and to be able to confound the atheists, the agnostics, or to answer them. We study the Bible to know God. So always make sure your motive is pure. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a Bible mandate, not just to young Timothy, a pastor, but to every Christian, we must study. That is a Bible commandment. There's over a thousand New Testament commandments. This is one of them. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is an imperative. In the English language, this is called an imperative. It is an understood you. It's a command. You study to show yourself approved. 
And notice that kind of implies that if you don't study, you won't be approved. How many Christians go unapproved in their Christian walk because they don't study? The only time they open their Bibles when they come to church. Thank God they still bring a Bible to church. Thank God this church still requires them to open their Bible. But if you're not studying it on your own, you're altogether sunk. You know, even in school or college, if the only time you open your textbook is when you're in class, you're failing. If the only time you're opening your textbook is in class, when you're in college, you're failing. And we might even go so far to say, if as a Christian, the only time you're opening your Bible is in church, you're failing. Because you're already behind the eight ball. Don't be intimidated by the Bible. Often the size of its sheer volume can be overwhelming. 66 books, 32, just shy of 32,000 verses, numerous, numerous authors written over about 2,000 years can be very intimidating. The good news is it doesn't change. So if you'll just jump in somewhere and start to learn it, you'll have a good base of foundation and you'll just slowly add more information and add more information and add information and add more understanding. But if you look at the thing and say, I could never learn that, well, you're right. Because you can have what you say. But if you look at it and say, God commands me to know this, then you jump in there and you study it and you know it, then you're going to be all right. Often uh, the sheer size can be over, overwhelming. Questions like, where do I begin? Will I be able to understand it? Or will I ever know as much as the preacher? This often hinders believers. Uh, you don't have to know as much as the preacher. The preacher has to know more than everybody. He has to be the general practitioner. I, I, I as the pastor, I've got to know something about everything in the Bible because I've got to keep us healthy. Just like a good mama at home, she's got to be able to cook every kind of meal. That doesn't mean she's a sushi chef, but she might be able to make sushi. That doesn't mean she's a great griller, but she might know how to grill. That doesn't mean she's a fine French cuisine artist, but she may be able to fix some French cuisine. She's got to be good at everything. You don't have to be good at everything. You just have to want to know God and just jump in there. Realize that some brothers and sisters of ours in the body of Christ, they don't have the whole Bible. They have maybe just a section because they're in underground churches. They may just have half a roll of half of an epistle and they pull it out when the communists aren't around or the Muslims aren't around and they roll it out and they read it and commit that little bit to heart and God walks with them and they walk with God. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. What Bible was he studying? So so he didn't have one. (laughs) That's the answer. So, (laughs) So don't feel like you've got to know everything. You just start somewhere. You are afforded a Bible. Just because Enoch doesn't have one doesn't mean you don't get to, have, you get to study yours. So don't take me out of context. So you start to jump in there and study and figure out something about God. God is infinite, which means every day he has something else he wants to reveal about us, to us, about himself. And there are some days, I've gone through seasons of my life where I literally would study the Bible 40 hours a week. And then go through seasons where I might barely get in the Bible one hour a week. And in those seasons where I'm one hour a week, I think, what did I miss this week? What could I have learned about my God this week that instead I was just consumed of the carnal realm? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Let me get back in my Bible. Because there's just that much waiting for us. Be encouraged. The author of the Bible, God, he lives in you and he lives in me, and he has promised to lead us and guide us into all truth. 
course, Jesus said, thy word is truth. So we don't have to worry about just being led by the Holy Spirit in life. The Holy Spirit also wants to lead us through the Bible. And that's why you can study any number of things. Let me also tell you what a strong Christian walk looks like. You ought to be able to answer the following question. Hey, Marlon, what are you studying the Bible right now? Vessels. I'm not going to pick on anybody else. I know Marlon's studying vessels because some of you might not be studying anything. Every one of you ought to be able to say, pastor, brother, husband, wife, I'm studying healing. I'm studying David. I'm studying the book of Ephesians. Every one of us ought to have something we are studying if we're going to obey 2 Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. So every one of us ought to be able to have an answer. Now, you don't just randomly grasp something you were studying six months ago and say, well, the last time I was in the Bible, seven months ago, I was looking at Daniel. No, you ought to be constantly studying something because the Spirit of the Lord wants to lead you in the Bible to show you things, to show you something that you need to know. The word is spiritual meat, it's spiritual food, and if you're not eating it, you're gonna be spiritually weak. Amen. And if you'd spend time in the Bible, it would, it would perfect and balance your life. Just like when you don't spend time eating, you're not mature, you're not strong, you're unbalanced. Uh, some folks don't have a balanced diet. They eat whatever they want to and it makes them weird and goofy. The word is truth, so you can expect God to lead and guide you through the Bible and speak to you through it. I, I find that when Christians are in the Bible, they're not so lustful or spooky for a prayer line. I find that when Christians are in the Bible, they're not so lustful or spooky for a prayer line. Now, we have to be honest. In our crazy-matic circles, we love a prayer line because the Lord might speak to us in a prayer line. And so we end up getting in a prayer line for a mystical word, a prophecy. But I find that when you walk with Jesus Christ, you don't need a mystical word. You don't need a prophecy. The Lord just spoke to you this morning out of 1 John. (laughs) He just spoke to you yesterday out of the Gospel of Luke. He just convicted you three days ago out of the book of Proverbs, and you're still chewing on that. The Lord spoke to me three days ago. I don't think he's got anything left to say to me because I haven't dealt with the last thing he said to me. And it would really cut that back on some of the weirdness that can get into a charismatic Christian's heart because charismatics can be just as spooky and superstitious as the pagans because they still have a sin nature like the pagans do. We just manifest superstition in the church rather than in front of the idol. And so we want a mystical word. But if God's word is God speaking to you, you don't always need a prayer line to get a word. As Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And I I like that passage because there in 2 Peter, uh, Peter's saying, we heard God Almighty speak from on high when we beheld the Lord in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did they hear the Lord say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter said, we have not delivered unto you cunningly devised fables. When we heard the Lord speak from on high, he said, nevertheless, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He he was basically saying, I heard God Almighty promote his son in the Mount of Transfiguration, but the Bible is more sure than what I heard that day. That's powerful. He said, basically in that passage, I'm exalting the scriptures over the voice I heard that day, though it was God Almighty. We have to be the same way. 
The Bible is God speaking to us. Let us study what he is speaking. Study for no other reason but to know God. You know, I hang out with my wife, not to brag about her. I hang out and spend time with my wife, not to debate somebody about the merits of my wife. I spend time with my wife because I love her and I want to get to know her more. That's a relationship. I mean, it just sometimes we just get kind of squirrely in our motives. Studying is different from reading, and I'm going to make a big difference on this, a big emphasis. Just because you have read the Bible does not mean you've actually studied any of it. And so I'll add my two cents worth here. I am not against reading the Bible in a year. I think it's great. You ought to read the Bible. Every Christian should have at least studied the whole or read the whole Bible at some point. But here's the condition. Here's the caveat. It is possible to read the Bible and not get much out of it. It's possible to get the Bible, to read the Bible and not get much out of it. But it is also possible to stay in one book, one chapter an entire year and your life flourish in God. So at the end of that year, let's say we take Jeff, we take Tony. Jeff, he's fighting a battle as big as Kilimanjaro and the Lord has him settle down in Luke chapter 15 which I think is the prodigal son. Tony, on the other hand, he just re- his whole Bible time is just spent reading from Genesis to Revelation, however you know you do it. And, and at the end of the year, Jeff has come out of his turmoil and his torment, maybe gotten some victory over things. He can quote you the whole book of Luke chapter 15, or the, the, the chapter. Tony, on the other hand, what'd you get this year, Tony? Um... There was something cool I remember seeing somewhere. I think it was in 3 Kings. Is there 3 Kings? Maybe it was 2 Kings. Maybe it's Chronicles. I'm not sure. I remember reading something cool about a battle. Jeff, what did you get this year? I got victory over fear. I got victory over insecurity. I got my wife back. I got my oldest boy back. I got my job back. We got this kid healed. And then I became an evangelist. What did you study all year? Just Luke chapter 15. I think we see the difference. And again, I don't knock those. Thank God somebody's reading the Bible. For me personally, I tried once to read the Bible in a year. It was 2002. And I stuck with that Bible plan into March. And, and I was reading, you had like a little chart and a little outline and doing all of it. And then I was like, oh God, that's good. I got, I got to come back and study that. Uh, my, and I'd make notes, oh, but I got to get on the next page of reading for the next day. And, and, and before long, I got like 15 things I got to go back and study because God's speaking to me. Well, if God's speaking to you, you don't say, Lord, I'm too busy. Shut up. So by March of 2002, I was in Florida with my family on a vacation at, at all the Disney things and, and the Universal. I said, phooey, I'm going to settle back with the last thing God was speaking to me out of Exodus. And I gave up and I studied the Bible the rest of the year. And, and that's what uh, that's, that's will get the most for you out of it. Amen. Reading passes time and reading makes you well read. Studying takes time. Studying makes you a workman. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Timothy doesn't say, read the Bible to show yourself approved. And again, I'm going to split hairs here because this is a more advanced class and you guys should be more advanced Christians. I'm going to split hairs here because reading just makes you well read, but the Bible says studying makes you a workman. And that may be why few Christians actually truly study the Bible because it takes work. But we're not afraid of work around here. 
If you're going to serve God, you can't be afraid of work. So three needful ingredients for Bible study. Effective Bible study takes these three elements. Number one, mental assertion. You can't just mindlessly read the words on the page. We've all done it in school. We've done it in our Bible time. You don't even know what you just read. And yet, you, you know, you fit five pages into it. I do a lot of reading and I have to go back and say, well, what did I just read? And you know, you go back and you put a bookmark in and you read and think, I don't remember reading anything on this page. So you go back a page or two. I don't remember any, reading anything on this page. Maybe the bookmark's in the wrong page or maybe you zoned out. You must be actively engaging your mind into what you are reading. No dozing off. Uh, one minister talked about uh, he was so hungry for God after he'd get off work, he was so irritated at himself falling asleep reading the Bible or studying the Bible, he finally got to where he'd stand on the edge of his shower, the, the thresh there on the bathtub, and stand there to read his Bible. So if he fell asleep, he'd fall. That's how hungry he was for the word of God. He, he was not gonna let being tired at the end of the day be his lame excuse for why he didn't have a walk with God. That's disciplined flesh. They also said Smith Wigglesworth took ice cold showers just to keep his flesh under. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> There's no reason to have to do that. There's no reason whatsoever. Number two, studying the Bible takes self-discipline. Only you can discipline yourself. Improvement and advancement comes one day at a time. Here a little, there a little. Let your Bible study be as important to you as eating, sleeping, bathing, etc. So Bible study takes self-discipline because if you don't make yourself study the Bible, nobody will because you're all mature, you're all adults. Uh, you don't have anybody over your shoulder like a, a discipler in your home or a mom or a dad saying, all right, Bible time, put the video game up, put sports center up, put your hobby up, put macrame or crochet up, uh, get in your Bible. You have to do it yourself. That's why we're always praying that we're hungrier for God because when you're hungry for God, you will study the Bible for yourself. And the reason Christians don't study the Bible is they are not hungry for God. They are not hungry for God. They are not hungry for God. I have found that many Christians, they want somebody else to walk with God for them. And what they in fact try to do is make their local church a priesthood. We don't live under a priesthood in the church. You have to walk with God for yourself. I'm not a Levitical priest. I'm not a Catholic priest where I walk and go to God for you. You get to go to God for yourself. But again, that comes back to the whole workman thing. We don't want the work. We want somebody else to do it for us. We want somebody else to get it for us. We want somebody else to know God for us. But you have to walk with God. And when you get hungry enough, even the lazy person in the natural, when they get hungry enough, they'll go to the kitchen and find something to eat. And, and the thing that hurts my heart is to see some Christians, they only come to God when their life is falling apart. But I would tell you, if you walk with God, your life would not fall apart. You'll have ups and downs, but your life won't fall apart. So many Christians, though, their, their walk with God is so inconsistent. They only come to God and study his Bible or come to the altars or come to prayer when stuff is falling apart. The fool said, sometimes God will put you on your back, make you look up, which is an ignorant, wretched statement. So I always say, well, why'd you quit looking up? Because if you look up, you wouldn't have fallen. Amen. So the third thing is time. Bible study takes time. 
Bible study takes time. And this is one thing the world system is designed to strip you of, time. You and I are as busy as we wanna be. And you and I are chasing the things we wanna chase. And we have to ask ourselves, why is God not in there? Why is God not a part of what we're chasing? Studying the Bible takes time and you have to make that time. You must make time for it. If you do not make time for it, the world will make sure you are always too busy for it. You always make time for the thing you love. You'll always make time for what's important to you. And so you have to let, as the old hymn says, let the things of this world go, grow, uh, grow strangely dim. So you're just, not, you're just not hungry for it anymore. I've gone through seasons in my own life where there were clean TV shows I enjoyed watching and I couldn't wait to get home to watch it. And honestly, I'm, a, I'm thankful I'm in a season right now. I tried to watch a show the other night. I didn't even care about it. Uh, this is a stupid waste of my life. There's too much to do. And it's a good clean TV show. It's too, it's too much to do to waste this. And I honestly fell asleep. I never fall asleep watching a good movie or a good TV. I fell asleep and I said, blah, I don't even care. Not even gonna come back and finish that thing. I'm thankful to be in that position because I've been in other places where couldn't wait to pick up the TV show, couldn't wait to pick up this or whatever. Uh, I want to be in a place where I can't wait to get time to look into the word of God again because I'm chasing something in the word. I'm chasing a doctrine. I'm chasing a revelation. I'm chasing a thread that God's trying to speak to me. The wonderful thing is God hides things for you. He doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you in the word and he makes you dig for them so you appreciate them when you find them. He could have just given it to you. God could just instantly download everything, but he makes you hunt for it so you'll appreciate it and it develops a walk with him. All right, so let's get into three study techniques now. And uh, this, is, this is the meat of it. Interestingly or coincidentally enough, the way you study the Bible, there's three ways, three themes in which you'll study the Bible. They happen to also be the three identical ways in which you'll preach if you ever preach. And so the preaching technique or the art of preaching is called homiletics. And just, just as soon as you would scientifically preach the Bible in one of three ways, that's exactly how you'll study the Bible. And so there are three main ways in which you can study the Bible. They are, and we'll review, the, we'll go into them in depth. Topically, you can study the Bible topically. You can study the Bible exegetically. And you can study the Bible textually. And we'll evaluate each of these here now. Probably the most famous or most popular type of study is the topical study. Uh, this may be the easiest way to study the Bible. To study the Bible topically means that you research a particular topic in the Bible. That's what it, topically, you're looking at topics. So you're not just reading the book of Ephesians, but you might be in Ephesians studying the topic of spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter six has a very famous passage on wrestling not with flesh and blood, with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and heavenlies. Uh, that's a good place to stop off to study the topic. So topics might include doctrinal topics like salvation. If you start studying the topic of salvation, you have to start in Genesis when salvation is prophesied in the garden and chase it all the way through to Revelation when salvation is fully completed. At the second death and eternity begins. Uh, it might be the subject of forgiveness. If you're gonna study forgiveness, start in Genesis. See how God forgave Adam and Eve. See how God was trying to talk Cain into forgiving Abel. 
And so you're hitting here and there, picking up the topic. If you, uh, you might be studying the topic of healing or demons. So you won't be in any one particular book. You'll be in dozens of books studying the theme or the topic that you're interested in. And I, I quite personally recommend uh, when you got a good working knowledge of God and you're more than just a baby Christian, this is the best place to start studying the Bible. What, what topic interests you? And start breaking it down. You also might do a character study like King David. Studying the life of King David, you'll find many books in the Bible deal with King David. Acts talks about the worship of the tabernacle of David. Then you've got 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, Psalms. You have all these references to David. Or maybe Samson, Rahab. Uh, studying Rahab is not just going to be in the book of uh, Joshua. You're going to come over into the Gospels and find out about Rahab. And you're going to come over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and find out things about Rahab. You're going to go to Psalms and find out something about Rahab. That's a topical study. And then maybe the Apostle Paul. Then you might topically study events like the flood or the exodus, the construction of the temple, the rapture. The raptures, there are seven raptures the Bible talks about. So to understand the rapture the church is looking forward to, you may want to go back to the first rapture in the book of Genesis concerning Enoch. Jesus Christ was raptured. Elijah was raptured. So there's a lot to be studied. This method of Bible study can have you searching the entire Bible for different scriptures related to your topic of interest. This will require the use of the extra biblical tools that we covered in uh, lesson three. This style of study can make you a veritable expert on any given topic. But I would warn you this, don't, we all have our favorite topics, but don't just camp there. Anytime you camp out and your whole life is defined by one Bible topic, you're going to get goofy. You're going to get squirrely. Uh, I'm always reminded, uh, a couple years ago, I went to another church and I preached a men's breakfast and a men's seminar and I taught on honor, honoring the local church, honoring the things of God, honoring the house of God, honoring the, the Bible. And it was a powerful message. I, I, it was just a good time in the Lord. And after, after the service, this one man came to me. And, uh, and a lot of folks said, thank you. That was awesome. It really helped me. You convicted me. The Lord's been dealing with me. You hear some good things. And one man comes to me and the man has an idol in his heart. And he says, you know what else the church isn't honoring, Pastor. I said, what's that? He said, creationism. And I thought, Lord, here we go. I believe in creation. I'm a Christian. But the way this guy approached me, that you could tell this was the only thing he lived for. This is the only thing he studied. He couldn't give you three verses on salvation. He couldn't give you four verses on evangelism. He couldn't give you anything on Samson. He was obsessed with his pet doctrine called creationism. You could tell he probably had every book, been to every seminar, supported every ministry that dwelt, lived, breathed, and died creation. That's not a balanced Christian. That's goofy. That's like eating nothing but steak every meal. Your body will die. That's like eating nothing but carrots every meal. You will turn orange and grow buck teeth and say, what's up, doc? That's like eating nothing but oatmeal. You'll turn your body to mush. So, we study topics and we all have, I think, our favorite thing we like, but you got to be balanced if you're going to be a well-rounded Christian. This style of study can make you a veritable expert on any given topic as you study multiple topics and you must. In fact, the grace of God won't let you just stay on one topic. 
And as you begin to learn how to study the Bible, you'll study a subject and, and the more you study, the deeper you get. And all of a sudden, it's just like it dries up on you. And that's the Lord making sure you don't get weird. And all of a sudden, the subject of healing dried up for you. And now all of a sudden you read it. Like, what do I do now? You jump in, you start reading the Bible till something else jumps out at you. And it may be something you're not even interested in, but it stands out at you. That's where you stop and you say, all right, Lord, what is this word lasciviousness? I, don't, I can't even say lasciviousness. And I'm speaking in tongues. I should start and see what this word, how you even pronounce it and begin to study it even deeper. And see what the Lord says to you. And now you begin a six-month study on lasciviousness because the Lord wants to deliver you from it. That just means giving your flesh whatever it wants, when it wants, as it wants. No self-control. As you study multiple topics, you'll begin to build your knowledge database of the heart of God concerning the things of life and godliness. The Bible says he's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and that's in the word. So we ought to study it. You're not going to have godliness just studying creationism. And you're not going to have life either. You're going to have weird. You're not going to have life and godliness studying nothing but healing all your life. Furthermore, if you emphasize evangelism and that's all you know, you're not going to have full life and godliness. You have to have all things that pertain to life and all things that pertain to godliness just to be a well-rounded Christian. Number two, the son, number two technique is an exegetical study. Now, what does that mean? That's pretty fancy. This is a fancy word that simply means this, the student studies a passage of scripture and interprets it. And so you're looking at a passage of scriptures, not a topic, but now you're settling down and you're studying a passage. We'll use Ephesians 6 as an example. The whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with the gospel of truth or peace, shoes, uh, with the go uh, shoes girt about with salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. And so that's several verses there and you start to break it down and you find out that Paul mentioned that in Colossians. You find out that Isaiah talks about the helmet of salvation. Wait a minute, so Paul's borrowing Old Testament language and adding to it. So you, you're not studying the whole Bible. You're not even studying a topic necessarily. You're breaking down a text and trying to figure out the interpretation of it. This might be three or four verses in a row. It might be a whole chapter. You could exegetically study a whole book like the book of Jude, which is one of the most terrifying New Testament epistles because it talks about the day you and I live in. And it basically says some Christians will deny God and be twice dead. Trees whose fruits are withered, plucked up by the roots. That would be a wonderful exegetical study from Jude 1 all the way to the about 27, I think. It's got 27 verses, something like that. When you're done with an exegetical study, you'll have a good understanding of that particular passage of scriptures, its context, its meaning, its setting, etc. cetera. Uh, so topically is the easiest. Exegetical is more in depth because you're actually interpreting and giving the meaning of the passage. New Testament epistles or portions of the epistles make for good exegetical studies. And that brings us to our last point, our last uh, type of study. That's a textual. This is a little bit more advanced. This type of study means that this Bible student only focuses on one verse. John 3.16, or maybe 1 Peter 2.24, or maybe Isaiah 53.4, or maybe the 23rd Psalm, verse 1. Or, or, you know, there's just so many examples of it. Perhaps a certain verse really has you stumped. 
Like what about in Timothy where it says, nevertheless, if the woman shall remain in childbearing, she shall be saved. What? What if a woman doesn't give birth? Does that mean she goes to hell? That's an odd New Testament verse. Or what about Corinthians? And uh, what about the baptism of the dead? And if they be not baptized, what is the baptism of the dead all about? Maybe you want to bog down on one verse that's just a big, fuzzy, redacted enigma question mark when you read through that. And for 15 years, you've just read over it because, uh uh-huh. <laughs> And then all, you've said, uh-huh, enough times like hitting the speed bump in the parking lot. Uh-huh. I'm tired of shrugging and saying, uh, it's there for a reason. Maybe if I pray and fast, the Lord will unlock that verse. He may take you a year to unlock a verse. And then you're like, wow, I've never heard anybody teach on that. I just got something from God. He maybe has never given anybody in my lifetime. And he would want to. If you were to dig for it, he'd let you find it. And lots of folks like to take one verse and says, the secret thing belongs to the Lord. That's Deuteronomy. See that? You can't know everything. But then another place says, and the Lord reveals it to those that please him. I always like to claim that one. The secret thing belongs to the Lord and he'll reveal it to whom he wants. Lord, let it want, I want you, Lord, to want to reveal it to me because I'm tired of shrugging at this verse as a speed bump in a New Testament epistle. But again, this means you're hungry enough to scratch your head. Sometimes it's just easier to Google. And that's not always safe. Usually 90% of the time, Googling is not safe. Sometimes you just come to the preacher because you know I've done the work. And that almost makes it Christian welfare. But if you would study the Bible for yourself, God would speak to you and you would build your faith in God and realize he wants to talk to you too. All right. You may want to stop and thoroughly study that one verse. Perhaps a certain verse really has you stumped or, you'll, or you perceive there's more to it than what you currently understand. You may have to dissect the words used with the help of a lexicon or you may be able to find a similar verse and compare the two. This type of Bible study is often incorporated into the other two types. If you do a topical study, you're gonna bog down and you're gonna study a passage or you're gonna bog down and study one verse in just understanding the topic of forgiveness, the topic of eternal security, the topic of the fruit of the spirit. You're gonna bog down and study one verse or several verses. All right, so there's a lot that can be said on those three. But again, if you're hungry and if you've been studying the Bible, you're automatically doing this just as you're led by the Holy Spirit. It's just so neat when you, when you actually do the word and you're not just a theoretical Christian, you'll find out that the Holy Spirit leads you to do a lot of this stuff anyway. You study the Bible, you end up doing topical studies. You study the Bible, you just end up doing exegetical studies. You maybe didn't even know that's what they were called, but that's the science of hermeneutics. It's a science. The Spirit of God ordained it, and the Spirit of God obeys the law he ordained. And so when you're led by the Spirit, you automatically find yourself falling into the pattern he created. There's no other way to study the Bible but these three ways. This is all there is to it. Isn't that interesting? Three, trifecta, the Trinity, the tripod, the most stable design there is. A tripod is the most stable thing. And here you got three ways. What is the goal? The goal of any and all Bible study is to get to know our God better. I'll say this. You cannot know God without studying his word. You can't know God without studying his word. And once you've studied his word, you're not going to know God another level till you do his word. And then I'll add this. According to Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, come take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You're, there's other things you're not going to know unless you work with God, laboring in the kingdom. 
Every Christian is called to get plugged into a local church and serve there. Jesus Christ said, there's certain things you're not going to learn unless you take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And notice he says, and I'll give comfort to you and rest. Notice that working for the kingdom, working in the kingdom, being in the ministry of helps and serving, that automatically fixes a lot of your problems. I, I just shake my head when I see Christians try to chase away from God to fix their problems when Jesus Christ said all along, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my, burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He basically said, you're gonna trade one burden for another and when you put my burden on you, I solve your problems. Amen. So there's all these different ways we learn from God. We study the Bible, we do the Bible, and then we serve in the kingdom. And they fix, those three things fix your life. Some Christians, they, they're just, uh, they seem to be flesh bent on being on Christian welfare their entire life. They harass people. They, they want to hand out. They want to stick their nose in everybody's business. They want to boss people around and yet they never go anywhere. And then those, those, there's the Christians that read the word, study the word, do the word, serve in the kingdom and their life takes off like a rocket. And they wonder, uh, the folks that stay in Christian entitlement and Christian welfare, they wonder why they never go anywhere. I go to the same church as them. Yeah, but you don't live the same life as them. Okay, it's awfully quiet in this denominational church. Do we need to read some liturgy or something? Do we need to like uh, stand to our feet, turn to liturgical reading number 475, and let's read. <laughs> when God supernaturally reveals something to us during our daily study, we call that revelation. When God, re revelation means to be revealed. When God reveals something, that's called revelation. The Greek word is apocalypto. That's where we get the apocalypse. Everybody talks about the apocalypse. Well, that just means, it literally means take the lid off the crock pot. Take the lid off the pot. That's what apocalypto means, the revealing. So everybody thinks the apocalypse is the end of the age and nuclear apocalypse. Uh, that would technically mean you just revealed your nuclear arsenal. <laughs> But apocalypto means a revealing, a pulling back, an exposing. Take the lid off the pot. Look what's in there. So the apocalypse, uh, the revelation's called the apocalypse. You have the seven horses of the apocalypse, the seven churches of the apocalypse. The seven churches of the revealing of the end days. The seven horsemen of the revealing of the end days. Uh, when God reveals something to you, he takes the lid off that verse and says, look what I've been cooking. And that's a revelation. Not the revelation as in John's revelation, but we believe in progressive revelation. Every one of you, God's revealed more of himself too. That's progressive revelation. Not necessarily pro prophecy or prophetic. It doesn't make you a prophet. It just means God's walking with you and talking with you. When my little girl learns more and more about the house and how we do things, that's revelation. Oh, we don't throw this stuff in the toilet. Oh, she got the apocalypse. <laughs> Amen. Personal revelation is the act of God revealing to someone something they had never seen before. We may have read a particular verse 50 times before and had never technically, quote, seen it. But on the 51st reading, a light came on within us. He said, the entrance of thy word brings light. And we saw something we'd never seen before. Revelation is part of the reward of seeking God and studying his word. I love revelation from God. I, I love to dig into types and shadows when I've got nothing else to study or prepare. One of my most favorite revelations I've ever, the Lord's ever given me. 
as I, I, I'm an Old Testament guy, I love the Old Testament stories and the types that are there, the allegory. And I remember reading when the Lord got so angry, you know, the Lord hates murmurers and gripers and complainers. He hates that. He hates it when we complain. And, and God's people, they were complaining about manna. And they said, they admitted, our soul does loathe this light bread. And so they asked, they demanded meat. And God was put out with them. And so God has a sarcastic sense of humor sometimes. He says, tell them I'll give them meat. Not one day, not two days. I'll give it until it comes up out of their nostrils. So can you imagine eating so much quail, you puke it out of your nose. And so when the Lord delivers meat, <laughs> when he delivers this meat to them, he blows it in. And the Bible tells us when you do the numbers in the conversions that literally it's three feet deep. There's three feet of bird, 30 miles in every direction. A day's journey in every direction. That's facetiousness. So then I said, all right, Lord, why did you say it till it comes out of your nose? Why, why did you say till it comes out of your nose? Why would you say that? So you get to asking why, why, why? I scratched around on that for a week or two or three, studying it. So then I started studying noses and nostrils. And then I saw it in Genesis and God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And these stubborn believers thought life came from having something to eat. And God said, he almost sarcastically said, I'm gonna show you life comes from me, but since you think this is life, it's gonna come out of your nose. You're going to puke it out of your nose. You ever blown, you ever thrown up through your nose? Oh my God. Oh, so the blessing of the Lord, they loathed it. They hated it. Sometimes we get that way in our lust and the thing we lust for, the Lord lets us have it and we hate it because we thought life comes from what goes into our stomach. Life doesn't come from what goes into our stomach. It's from what comes from God and he breathes into our nostrils the breath of life. That's revelation. Never heard anybody teach on it in my life. This may be the only second time I ever taught it. Just, just so you know, God has more things to reveal to you. Notes, notes, and more notes. You can't technically be studying without taking notes. If you're not taking notes, you ain't studying. I got a, I got a college degree. I didn't get the degree without taking notes. I take notes all the time. I still, I prefer to write with pen and paper because that's just who I am. But if you're not taking notes, you're not studying. You're just reading. So you ought to have a journal. You ought to have a notepad, however you want to do it, on your iPad, your tablet, computer. Notes, notes, and more notes. Take notes. Write down your questions when you study. Who is Tychicus? Or the Greek says Tukekas. Who is Tukekas? Why did Saul send the ark back? Not the apostle Saul, King Saul. Well, why did he fetch it? Why did he send it back? You got to ask these questions. Great biblical insight comes from asking God questions. Good Bible study produces lots and lots and lots and lots of notes. That's what good Bible study does. If you're not taking notes, you are not studying the Bible. Because if you're studying the Bible, you're going to be writing things down. Now, I'm not against preaching, but when you preach, people don't take notes because there's too much emotion going forth. What I do is I do a lot of teaching and it produces a lot of note taking on your point. Preaching motivates people. Preaching excites people. Preaching builds faith and compels people. They don't have time to take notes. They're, they're, they can't even sit still long enough. But when you bog down and you teach, that produces a Bible study. 
And so you should continue that when you get home, digging into it. If, if the preacher or the pastor or the Sunday school, if it provokes something in you and you felt led enough or provoked enough to write it down, you should go home and look at that thing. And I, I teach you guys, go home every couple of weeks and review your notes from services. And I guarantee you this, you will have written the same thing down multiple times because that's what the Spirit of God is emphasizing to you, though we preach three different themes every Sunday here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. We got three different themes every week, and yet you're gonna hear the same thing if you'll go back and look at the overall vector or the overall direction of the notes you take. You'll have new stuff, but you'll say, well, I've written that same quote nine times in six months. Hello. That's what God's saying to you. Notes, notes, and more notes. Where to begin? The Gospel of John is a good place. Ephesians, 1 John, they're good starting places for new students. But after that, because those give you who, Ephesians gives you who you are in Christ. 1 John lets you know about the love that God has for you and overcoming condemnation, which every baby Christian needs to learn how to do. And then, of course, the Gospel of John is a very simple understanding. It is a very distilled version of the Gospel that emphasizes the high points those are good places to start as a baby Christian. But after that, what topics interest you? What Bible characters interest you? Let God lead you. Whatever the Lord's dealing with you about, study that. Whatever you're convicted over, study that and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let me, let me reassess or reassert, I'm not against reading the Bible in a year. If you're not gonna do anything but that, thank God, it gets the word in you. But you can read the Bible in a year and get nothing out of it or you can bog down on a passage and change your life. Amen. Father, I thank you for these five weeks of teaching on the scriptures and how to study the Bible. I pray, Lord, that those that listen to these in the years to come would be blessed and learn how to study the Bible and they would walk closer with you. Father, I thank you for blessing these weeks of Bible study as we studied how to study your Bible. We thank you, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get ready for service.